Yeah. I had spent months preparing to go to Egypt. I had had my shots, of course. I had begun to consume daily a small amount of yogurt to build up the diverse intestinal biotica that would help me navigate the diverse cuisine. <laughs> I had studied, studied Indian history, although today I'd argue that it was through the eyes of the British colonizers that the story was framed. studied the major religions of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, and with a smattering of Jainism and Sikhism, he was beginning to get a grasp of the complexity of these related and distinct systems of thought and practices. It was in some ways the last gasp of Christianity in India. During those final months, the contradictions between good actual lived experience and suffering bodies overwhelmed for me the possibility of God injected on in pain. I entertained many conversations about karma and could not reconcile the truth of the of people to follow their religious convictions did not deliver an identifiable benefit to society as a whole. The scope and scale of the Practitioners of Hinduism recognize many, many manifestations of God and follow the teaching of many Swamis and many Gurus and many teachers, and yet poverty and language and congestion is just Buddhists who didn't require but allowed God lived lives of enlightenment and simplicity and suffering still persisted. The Jain who held that the universe was not created, who rejected the idea of a creator God, lived less lives of high ethics and asceticism, but I was at the breaking point of belief. I knew I would never be a Jane, but I was caught by the imagination that we just cannot change. <laughs> so I got to a place and said, maybe there is no God. Maybe what is, is. Maybe the meaning I make in my life is the meaning I make in my life. Now this step away from traditional belief was not so huge a leap, not without precedence in my personal story. In my teenage years, I had many questions, as one should. That's normal for a human. Remember that time that we humans in our bodies go through these terrific changes simultaneously need to differentiate ourselves from our, the adults who raised us, because we become the next generation of people able to procreate. And we need to bond with our own generation, our own group, distinct from our parents, and then we're beginning to self-identify, to find us each individually as unique, special, boy, puberty, and years that follow can be a mess. Good luck, Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, parents of Abraham. <laughs> Not for a while. During my teenage years, I came to the conclusion that there could be no hell. I took the position that a loving God that was still tolerating could never subject people to hell. But then I rejected, too, the idea of heaven. I thought that there would be no eternal judgment in an afterlife, no separation. 
books. No heaven, no hell, but all the meaning we could have in our lives needed to be made into the life we have I didn't worry about what life after life might be. I just couldn't imagine it in any sense. But I turned my attention yet to life My pastor, Arthur Fitzgerald, had said I seemed to him to be an existentialist, and that there was a place in our community of faith for existentialists. That had been when I was a teenager, now preparing for a new in the early 20s. I was about to be ready to give up presented to the chorus as a chance meeting, something incidental, perhaps it was. We had on our schedule a visit to the homes for the destitute and dying in Kokaka, but had just learned that Mother Teresa would not be able to greet us there because she was on the way to Goa to launch another home in her mission. But as we stood in the Mumbai airport, waiting to board the plane to Chennai, Mother Teresa passed right by. And after an impromptu performance of Randall Thompson's Alleluia, that's what you say when you see Mother Teresa. <laughs> Mother Teresa spoke to us for a few minutes. Do something good with your life, she urged. Do something good with your life. I Ready to become formalized as a saint of the church, she was prodding me to do something good. Now, I was actually able to hear this without too much offense because I clung to the first part of her statement do something good with your life. A decade after that trip, the chorus gathered at the reunion and marveled at the high number of us who had gone into medicine, ministry, professional activism, other helping professions. Do something good with your life. Do something good for saints. Do something good for God. I heard in that religious injunction to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to care for the widow and the orphan and the refugee, to visit the simply the psychological projection of billions of inhabitants on this blue green planet to help us deal with how hard life can be, to deal with how beautiful this planet is, to how sweet and precious are our relationships, to give us the grace and the kindness to pray for us. 
Jennings says true religion is known by the entire aspiration towards independence. And this is the religion which most truly honors God. To honor God is not to tremble before God as an unapproachable sovereign, not to utter barren praise which leaves us as if harmless, which leaves us as if found nothing. It is to become what we Approach God as an inexhaustible fountain of light, power, and purity. It is to feel the quickening and transforming energy of His, her, God's perfection. It is to thirst for the growth and invigoration of the divine principle within us. It is to seek the very spirit of God. It is to trust Him, to bless, to thank God for that rich grace, mercy, love, which was revealed in and which proposes as its great end the perfection of the human soul. To me, God has always been the creator. The creator and the creative. Creative energy, creative moment. Creative process. That's God in the summation of a billion, billion, billion accidents that created the full moon and the sunrise, the greening of tips of trees and the fragile ash of time, the countless random acts that combine so that my heart sighs wordlessly in my contradictory edge of the sea. The biggest. with your life. It, he says, is something good for God. And then that, the call in me, the time in others, that we can do something good with our lives, that we can rely on our sense of conscience to be powerful my sense of the good, the beautiful, and the true, joining with your sense of the good, the beautiful, and the true, so that we might do something good with our lives, so that we might do something good for God, that's where I see the divine. That's where I see the divine. Today we celebrate the ordination and installation of Oscar Lewis and I know that this Lincoln congregation appreciates a ministry long and determined and generous and humble and smart <laughs> and creative ministry. I'm here from Baltimore, the place Oscar called home for a few years, a place where he was able to pursue the good, the beautiful, and the true, a place where he could determine. 
determined that creativity's help was the path to ordain ministry was calling him on. Nearly 200 years ago, William Ellery Channing made a notable visit to Baltimore. More than a little visit, it was a month-long journey of innovation and inquiry. He stopped in New York on the way down, stayed with his cousins, got to Baltimore, met with representatives from the nation's capital who came up to talk with him. On the way back to Boston, he stayed for a few weeks in New York, where the people he had met earlier, incidentally, had hired a hall and said, we want you to preach. Out of that journey, the church in Baltimore ordained himself as first minister, Reverend Jerry Clark, and two congregations were born, All Souls Church in Manhattan, and All Souls Church in Washington, D.C. Mr. Channing argued for a religion that insisted on the truth by a rational reading of the ancient texts he had received along with the reasonable conclusions, all while insisting that the essential relationship between divinity and humanity must be the relationship of parent and child. You, this congregation, displayed a godly parental affection her individuality, her worth, her dignity, when you commended her to a free and responsible church for truth, justice, and compassion, and peace, and when you promised to care for her, even as you would guide her to care for others, the kind of relationship that you displayed with Avish is the kind of care Channing's God would display for all people. In a way, your promises today exhibited divinity revealed God. You did something good with your life. You did something good for God. What is it that makes us who we are today as Unitarian Universalists? I think it is discovered in these simple words of Ben Chan. There is a spreading conviction that humanity was higher purpose than to be a beast of burden or a creature of sense. The divinity is stirring within the human breast and demanding a culture and a liberty worthy of a child of God. Let religious teaching correspond to this advancement of the mind that is rising above the technical, obscure, and frigid theology which has come down to us from times of ignorance, superstition, and slavery. Let it penetrate No preaching, he says, I believe, is so, un is so intelligible as that which is true to human nature and helps us to our own spirits. Do something good with your lives, dear friends, to discover these convictions within yourself and among us all. And even uniting Baltimore and Lincoln, all of us, children of Channing, all of us the children of God, know the creative and life-affirming spirit which is, which is accessible to us in our imaginations and in our emotions, our conscience and our convictions, our pursuit of the good, the beautiful, and the true, our lives of creativity and purpose, and do something good.